So, right, we have... Uh, <laughs> I mean, didn't we have the states claiming that they would make Russia a state sponsor of terrorism? Terrorism. Well, Latvia has gone ahead with declaring Russia a sponsor of terrorism. Latvia also called on the EU countries to immediately suspend the issuance of tourist and entry visas to Russians and Belarusians. You're going to love the hypocrisy down the bottom here. Uh, the government of uh, Latvia is calling the EU. So the Sejim, I, I have no idea how to pronounce these words from Latvia, so do forgive me, Latvians. However, uh, said that Russia, quote, for many years supported and financed terrorist regimes and organizations in various ways. I, I really want to post that meme of the monkey like looking to the sides. Is no one going to tell them about what the UK has been up to, what the United States has been up to for years now, particularly the, the United States? It goes on to claim, in particular, the country is, quote, the largest supplier of weapons to the regime of Bashar al-Assad in Syria. The cognitive dissonance on display in Latvia right now is truly mind-blowing. So Russia is a state sponsor of terrorism for supporting and financing terrorist regimes and organizations in various ways and being the largest supplier of weapons. That sounds very much like someone else. In addition, Riga recalled the poisoning of former GRU colonel Sergei Skripal and his daughter Yulia in British Salisbury in 2018. Didn't a BBC documentary kind of, not conclude, but claim that it was MI6, or MI6 was up to really dodgy stuff regarding that case, and it was never actually proven, if let's be completely frank and honest. Then it mentions, as many people do in the comments, the Malaysia Boeing crash in the Donetsk region in 2014. Sure, maybe. Again, conclusive proof I've not seen, but, uh, I mean, it says here Russian authorities repeatedly deny the reports. And equally, I haven't seen conclusive evidence to say that. Whether it was highly likely, we don't know. But you're going to base this decision on, first of all, the, the loosest and most hilarious justifications regarding financing and supporting dodgy people, then being the supplier of weapons, and then on two cases where one in particular looked like it was MI6 and an inside job, and another one that's very loose, Latvia. Latvia, seriously. Now, this, uh, obviously, I'll link this article in the description. It does link the announcement on the Latvian government website, but I can't seem to get through for love nor money, nor VPN, in fact. So I can't verify that, and I would love it if Latvians could uh, weigh in. What do you think about this decision? <laughs> uh, I don't think they're going to make any headway on this uh, calling for all EU countries. I, I think that's just one of Zelensky's um, brain addled farts uh, from his drug-induced um, ramblings. But talking of Ukraine and Zelensky and their ridiculous actions, uh, Russia has reported that air defense repulsed the attack of Ukrainian missiles and drones on Enegadar and the Zaporozhye nuclear power plant. So these are not, not just shelling, and again, shelling to me tends to mean like conventional artillery, but I believe it also means uh, missiles, and these are air attacks coming in. Uh, so more concentrated attacks and firepower being focused on the Zaporozhye uh, power plant. This was announced Thursday, that's today the time of recording, August 11th by Vladimir 
Rogov, member of the main council of the administration of Zaporozhye, as we reported yesterday, it's operated by Ukrainians, uh, I believe. Uh, so again, it's another case of them attacking their own people, essentially. Uh, quite, quite severe rhetoric, actually, if we go into the quote. It has been loud, and very loud, in Enegadar since yesterday evening, most of the night and today since the morning, on the eve of the meeting of the UN Security Council on strikes against the Zaporozhye nuclear power plant. The naughty devils are trying to cover a peaceful city and the Zaporozhye nuclear power plant with MLRS, heavy artillery and strike UAVs, wrote Rogov in the Telegram channel. And then it references the uh, news that I reported yesterday that on August 10th, Deputy Permanent Representative of the Russian Federation to the International Organization, Dmitry Polyansky said that Russia had made a request to hold a meeting of the UN Security Council this afternoon on August the 11th because of the ongoing shelling in the nuclear power plant. And it, it's been... Maria Zakharova's weighed in on this. And then if you reference the BBC articles back when it was claimed it was Russia, this is serious. Like Zelensky's own words, this is the equivalent of six Chernobyls and literally the end of Europe. I cannot stress the BBC's quote and words enough. And yet here we are, uh, Russia claiming to have defended, for now, uh, another attack on this nuclear power plant. So I mentioned about North Korea. Foreign Ministry denies the reports of North Korean plans to send volunteers to Ukraine. Specifically, I believe the number was 100,000 troops. As many of you commented, there's a good excuse to get them battle-hardened. The Foreign Ministry said they are not negotiating with the DPRK on sending volunteers to Ukraine. Reports about the proposal of the DPRK to send its volunteers to participate in a special operation are fake. Such negotiations are not underway. Ivan Nacheyev, Deputy Director of the Information and Press Department of the Russian Foreign Ministry, said at a briefing in Moscow, quote, In this regard, we would like to declare with all responsibility that these reports are fake from beginning to end. Such negotiations are not ongoing. There are no plans to send North Korean volunteers to the DPR and LPR. We are convinced that the combat capabilities of the Russian armed forces and the troops of the People's Militia of the DPR and LPR are quite enough to fulfill the tasks of a special military operation. However, at the bottom of the article, <laughs> it says, first North Korean builders will arrive in the DPR in the near future. So if we're going to split hairs, there are plans to send North Korea volunteers to the DPR and LPR, but they're not military volunteers. I don't know if they're actually builder volunteers because there's a volunteer and then there's a contractor. So let's get into that article and see what's said. The first North Korean builders will arrive in the DPR in the near future. So you can kind of forgive the previous story why people think that's true, can't you? The head of the DPR, Pushilin, uh, announced negotiations of the arrival of builders from the DPRK to the Republic. Uh, Quote, now it's interesting, and this is mutually beneficial, given the grandiose construction that we have now unfolded, and it will only gain momentum. We will directly need builders, and here negotiations are already underway, so that builders, including from North Korea, brigades, also went directly to the restoration of the territories of the DPR. Pushinin recalled that before the imposition of sanctions... Builders from North Korea regularly worked in other countries. They confirmed their high qualification, discipline, and focus on results. Well, I, yeah, 
I think that's uh, com- communist, isn't it? <laughs> well, I- I'm not going to comment too much on that one, but uh, yeah, I can understand why they might work hard. And uh, I'm wondering how many may go missing. <laughs> no, again, I shouldn't say too much. Uh, I am, of course, a-, a subject of Western propaganda regarding North Korea, but you are really, really, really going to have a hard time convincing me that North Korea isn't nearly as bad as portrayed because, uh, yeah, I have seen numerous accounts uh, on this. So, yeah, that lends in to the previous story, I think, and it is probably why people are giving it credibility that uh, North Korea is sending over these volunteers, let's say. So, yesterday we had the... Well, I covered the news of the previous day of explosions in Crimea an airfield. Well, intriguingly... Today, the 11th of August, reported at 20 past 9 this morning, explosions at a military airfield explained in Belarus. Hmm. Ministry of Defense of Belarus denied information about explosions at a military airfield near Gomel. Ministry of Defense of Belarus denied uh, information about explosions at a military airfield in Zabrovka, Gomel region. The corresponding message was published on the website of the department. Quote, August 10th at about 2300, during the control run of one of the pieces of equipment after the replacement of the engine, it ignited. The personnel took timely extinguishing measures, the Ministry of Defence explained. It's also reported that there were no casualties as a result of the fire at the airport. So move along, nothing to see here. Although those tinfoil hat conspiracy theorists among you might uh, have something to say. But uh, there we go. That is the explanation that's been given. Uh, I guess the fact is that there has been an occurrence I think that would be the most polite and accurate way of saying it at another airfield. Now, I mentioned how the Chinese Foreign Ministry has been tickling my ribs recently. Uh, China's Foreign Ministry ridiculed Western democracy with one picture. This is the Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesperson, Zhao Lijian, who mocked the West. Uh, This guy I recognize. I think he's on Twitter, isn't he? He, He's on fire. You You really should give him a follow. Uh, took to Twitter to ridicule the hypocrisy of the West on the issue of democracy. I mean, we've just seen hypocrisy with Latvia's um, decision to make Russia a sponsor of terrorism. He published a picture depicting three conflicts in which the US used force under the slogan of democracy, Iraq, Afghanistan and Cuba. (laughs) Oh, my democracy. Afghanistan, yeah, with the drones. Thanks, Obama, for those as well. And in Syria as well, I believe, and Cuba. Yeah, didn't didn't mention too much about Syria there, but here we are. I presumably this is the Bay of Pigs, or something similar. Again, do educate me if I'm not getting that reference. But <laughs> so much democracy, <laughs> democracy or demo madness from the words democracy. Ah, I see what you did there, demo crazy. I like that. That's clever. Well done. The official representative of the Chinese Foreign Ministry often comments on U.S. actions with the help of pictures on Twitter, which is great for smooth brains like me. Thus, he called the United States the most belligerent country in world history and the greatest threat to peace and development on the planet. Recalled the many victims and suffering that the US military brought during operations in Vietnam, Kosovo, Afghanistan and Iraq and pointed to the responsibility of Washington for the situation in Ukraine. Oh, but wait, there's more. The Chinese Foreign Ministry humiliated the United States with a phrase about one of the most painful events for them. The 
since Pelosi's visit, the Chinese have been... They've been in there, haven't they? Chinese Foreign Ministry spokeswoman. Uh, again, please forgive me, Chinese people, but Hua Chunying compares U.S. foreign policy to the killing of George Floyd. Ooh, she went there. Wow. Quote, we cannot allow the U.S. to consider itself the world policeman and treat other countries like George Floyd, whom they intimidated and strangled at will, she wrote on Twitter. <sighs> wow, not pulling any punches there. And then it gives, um, gives the background, obviously, to Pelosi's visit to Taipei, which they're speculating is the reason that China is completely gloves off now. It's going for the jugular, and it ain't messing about, especially these foreign ministry spokespeople. They are really going for it. All guns blazing. And uh, we even have um, more stories here. And this one, this one actually, forgive me, is going back a little bit. But this is from the 4th of August. And you will recall in my previous video, it was a walk and talk where I said about I'd noticed this sand embargo. Well, this article from your Novosti goes into far more depth. And it's actually quite fascinating. I think you'll agree. China tightens a noose of sand around Taiwan's neck. Now, this we know. But it's some of the extra details in it that I think is um, noteworthy. For Taiwan, this is much worse than a direct military invasion and amphibious landing. It's quite a long article. If you've got Google Chrome Translate, I recommend getting into it. it go, look at how much detail it goes in, how many population, talks about the land area and how many people uh, occupy it. Uh, however, this is just the very tip of the iceberg. The imposed restrictions have a much greater destructive force and are capable of knocking out the economy of the recal recalcitrant island in the shortest possible time. In total, 40 billion tons of different types of sand are mined annually in the world, together with gravel, with a total value of over $70 billion. The basis of all modern electronics and complex devices is quartz sand i knew it was a specific type i believe in building it's cubic is it cubic sand that's used with cement but this is quartz sand that is uh, so specific it is from it is from it that chips micro circuits computers fiber optic cables and thousands of other devices are produced habitually filling our comfortable everyday life the sand undergoes special cleaning and it takes you through some of um, the refining processes we specifically took the liberty of giving a short lecture on the role of sand in the electronics industry since Taiwan is the world's leading manufacturer of microchips for electronics. At the end of last year, Taiwanese manufacturers occupied 66% of the global core market and were clearly not going to stop there. Just for comparison, South Korea boasts only 17%, while China, 1.5 billion, is content with a modest 8% percent of the semiconductor market wow let that sink in holy smokes uh, it says to understand that we are not mistaken let's turn to the list of the largest profile companies uh, it talks about um, taiwan's united microelectronics corporation uh, with last year's profit of 7.7 .7 billion the second is south korean samsung electronics and Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company holds the first place by a wide margin. TSMC offers more than 11,000 products to its customers. And the company has earned $45.5 billion 
from this in 2020. A break in the import supply chains of building and quartz sand has the potential to knock out not only the Taiwanese economy, but the entire global electronics industry, from games consoles to the brains of modern rockets and fighters. <laughs> and uh, it has this wonderful line here. It's extremely exciting to follow the maneuvers of aviation units and groupings of warships off the coast of Taiwan. At the same time, everyone who read the works of Sun Tzu understands that this is just a beautiful background. And... If you sit on your sandy shore for a long time, one day a whole island will sail to it. Now, a key thing that I've often repeated, uh, which I don't know for a fact, but I'm told that in Russian military academies, Sun, Sun Tzu, The Art of War, is compulsory mandatory reading. It's a book that I don't I didn't recall in the British Army. I don't know about Sandhurst and officer training, and I'm specifically talking about Russian officer training, but Sun Tzu is a standard uh, education which gives you an idea of culture and also knowledge and wisdom but wow there we are the chinese exercising presumably a tactic out of sun tzu a masterful stroke there uh, which i knew there was more to it so of course there is the building aspect which could be crippling uh, for of course construction but the most notable is the semiconductors as many of you rightfully observed and commented so, uh, I said about developments of other stories. Today, this is more of a notification. Transneft have resumed pumping oil through the Druzhba through Ukraine. As I reported yesterday, the Hungarian company MOL Mol, uh, took up the liability of paying for the transit fees, which Gaz... Well, is it Gazprom or another Neft? Uh, Transneft, that's it. Uh, couldn't pay to Ukraine. Uh, so, yeah, that has gone ahead uh, there. And going back to Ukraine as well, the Russian foreign ministry said that ships with food from Ukraine go to western ports past Africa. Do you remember all the fuss and hubbub? And uh, even Liz Truss, Russia is weaponizing food. Africa is going to starve. And of course, these ships are going to, to Britain of all places and others. Moscow hopes that western countries will create conditions for access to world markets for Russian products. That was the other thing that was agreed, was it not? Currently, this item of the product deal signed in Istanbul is not being implemented. This was announced August 11th, today at the time of recording, uh, by the press department of the Russian Foreign Ministry, Ivan Nachev. Quote, let us recall that the package of documents signed in Istanbul including, included agreements not only on the export of grain from three Ukrainian ports that began a week and a half ago, but also on the promotion of Russian food and fertilizers to world markets, which is currently not being implemented, he said. In addition, Nachev doubted the sincerity of the thesis of the West that the world food security depends on the grain deal. Unfortunately, so far, not a single ship with grain has reached the starving countries of Africa. They go mainly to Western ports, and the range of exported goods is mainly not wheat, but corn grain and sunflower oil, Nachev noted. I have no way to verify if this is true or not, but they then go through into more details here. And it even lists the ships with their cargoes and how much they carried and their destination, which I think is fairly... I think this is open on like ship trackers. Remember, we tracked Pelosi's plane and stuff like that. So I think you, you could verify certainly the destinations. I'm not sure about the manifests and the cargoes 
on uh, July 22nd, a grocery deal was concluded in Istanbul, a uh, package of documents. At the same time, the Ukrainian delegation signed an agreement with Turkey and the UN on the export of grain. Its validity period is 120 days with the possibility of extension. A topic of exporting grain from Ukraine was actively discussed against the backdrop of the deteriorating situation in the food markets of the world. Uh, and it goes on accusing Russia of blocking them, which the Kremlin uh, denied. So, make of that what you will. It seems that uh, the West was in a hurry to get its hands on the sunflower oil. Now, Bloomberg, unfortunately this article is behind a paywall. I will I will link the paywalled article, because I prefer, when they say Bloomberg reports or Reuters reports, I like to go to the source, but when the idiots do this, it's quite useful to have a summary, which is provided by Izvestia today. Russia is winning the energy market. This opinion was expressed on August 10th by Bloomberg columnist Javier Blas. The journalist noted that the country, despite the sanctions imposed against it, was able to fully restore its oil production rates and its revenues from the sale of the resource, even after the introduction of spring discounts. <laughs> remain record-breaking. The West's expectation of Russia's isolation on the world market also did not materialize as it was able to find new buyers and is now cooperating with the Middle East and Asia. Of course, we saw Biden and uh, his his uh, henchmen go off around begging handing cap to Venezuela, Saudi Arabia, et al. In addition to economic progress, Russia has also made progress in politics as the Western sanctions imposed on it not only had no effect, but also made the West, West even more dependent on Russian energy resources. We've recently reported on, I believe, is it Bulgaria, uh, even Latvia, going back to Gazprom, or at least saying that if they cannot find alternatives, they will be going back to Gazprom. Quote, a victory in the oil market means that Russian President Vladimir Putin can afford to forego revenues by limiting natural gas sales to Europe, putting pressure on Berlin, Paris and London which are bracing for sharp increase in retail energy prices and potential shortages, which could lead to rationing this winter. Moscow makes so much money selling oil that it can afford to limit the supply of crude oil to the countries of Eastern Europe, concluded the Observer. Well, this is, this is corroborated by even the British media, where I've observed and reported that they're talking about, what is it, rationing in come January, come, come winter? On August 6th, the Economic Times reported that Russia had become India's second largest oil supplier, surpassing Saudi Arabia. This happened thanks to discounts on Russian energy resources, which made them more attractive on the world market. And no one can blame the Indians for doing good, solid business and uh, knowing who their friends are. So <laughs> there we go. Uh, this is according to Bloomberg. Uh, who are claiming that Russia has, has won in the energy sphere. Uh, wow, I've got a lot of updates here, a notification from TASS. That's annoying. There we go. Thank you, TASS. And this, again, lending into the economy, I've talked about certain uh, Russian authorities and regions seemingly have a surplus. Well, there seems to be enough of a surplus that a bill was submitted to the Duma to increase the minimum wage to 30,000 rubles a month. Now, I'm not up to date actually on what the current minimum wage is i have said in past videos that for a single person it's um around twenty-five thousand the rubles you can expect around st petersburg um, so this would be a slight increase for someone in st petersburg but i think the minimum wage 
is is substantially less. But let's get into this article. Deputies from the LDPR faction noted that the initiative is aimed at ensuring, quote, an acceptable standard of living for Russians in the face of rising inflation and declining incomes due to the introduction of anti-Russian sanctions. Now, rising inflation, uh, I get what they mean. Uh, be- the only reason that confuses me a bit is we've had the central bank actually report deflation. But the truth of the matter is, I think what they refer to that in that inflation, incorrectly in my opinion, is rising costs, which is not inflation. Inflation is issuing more of the fiat currency and devaluing it. So, yeah, I'm going to put that one down to translation for now. Uh, The draft federal law on amendments to Article 1 of the federal law on the minimum wage proposes to establish a minimum wage from January 1st, 2023 in the amount of 30,000 rubles per month. This is about 200% of the artificially low subsistence minimum for the able-bodied population as a whole in the Russian Federation. And again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think there is the subsistence minimum and then there is the minimum wage, similar to the UK, as I've reported before. Now, here's a key line. The authors of the initiative note that the low level of the minimum wage leads to, quote, widespread corruption, differentiation of incomes of the population, to a decrease in aggregate demand and to a decline in production, does not stimulate employers to introduce new technologies and apply rational and fair wage systems, increase labor productivity and hinders the growth of the country's GDP, leads to an extensive shadow economy and an increase in social tension. In their opinion, the transition from January 1st, 2021 to a new methodology for the annual establishment of the minimum wage did not lead to a significant increase in the income of citizens. At the same time, the minimum wage does not take into account whether the employee has dependents. Wow the authors of the bill emphasize. Quote, thus, an employee who receives a salary at the minimum wage level cannot formally be classified as a working poor, but he can survive on such a salary only by taking a loan or borrowing money, falling into debt bondage, the document says. Holy smokes, if they haven't described my entire existence or working life in the United Kingdom. Working poor and in debt bondage. Uh, I didn't take out massive loans or anything like that when I was, you know, let's say of my 15, 20 years of working in the UK. But be, seeing seeing it written as working poor, I was like, yeah, that, that was pretty much it. No way to really live, uh, especially when you're reliant on your salary alone, which is a Russian curse, by the way. May you survive on your salary alone. <laughs> so there we are, some disgusting totalitarian... Uh, dystopian measures from from russia and uh, now 30,000 rubles uh, may not sound like a lot but if this does get implemented which presumably it will on january 1st 2023 is that gonna is that gonna force regime change do you think in russia i don't think so uh, and of course they're not going to be traveling to the eu to see the height of democracy because latvia is calling to ban all those visas aren't they anyway moving on politico put out this very interesting article i don't normally go to Politico. Uh, I don't normally have anything positive to say about what they write, but I feel like they're kind of stating the obvious here, and and it's worth amplifying their message. Consider Amnesty's message, don't shoot the messenger. It's wrong to fault the human rights group for criticising Ukraine. 
Wow. A very bizarre photo of some um, demonstration there. Today, Amnesty stands accused of, quote, blaming the victims and acting as Russian President Vladimir Putin's useful idiots. That was pretty much Biden. Because it issued a statement critical of the conduct of Ukraine's armed forces at a time when the Western-backed democracy is resisting a Russian invasion. But it's wrong to fault the group for criticizing Ukraine. A single report criticizing the Ukrainian armed forces for endangering civilians' lives through the way they've operated in some residential areas has drawn a firestorm of Ukrainian and Western indignation, prompting the head of Amnesty's Kiev office, Oksana Pokalchuk, as well as the co-founder of the Swedish division of Amnesty International, to resign. I did not know that. Pokalchuk said her local team hadn't been properly consulted over the report, which unwittingly sounded like support for Russian narratives and failed to take the full context of a country being torn apart by invaders into account. Quote, seeking to protect civilians, this research instead became a tool of Russian propaganda, she added. So what you mean is you couldn't censor it, redact it and adjust it to how you wanted it to be spun. Uh, mm, okay, thanks for that. <laughs> Western critics always also recalled that Amnesty had withdrawn its prisoner of conscience label from Putin's most outspoken domestic political opponent, Alexei Navalny, last year over xenophobic comments he had made more than a decade earlier, only to subsequently restore the status after protests. Some see a pattern here of pro-Russian or anti-Western bias. Western citizens are happy enough to light an amnesty candle in support of prisoners of conscience in Myanmar, Iran or Cuba. However, the group has been lambasted for criticizing the United States for its use of indefinite detention without trial at Guantanamo Bay in Cuba for terrorism suspects after 9-11 attacks, and likewise for comparing Israel's treatment of Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza Strip to apartheid. In seeking to use an objective ethical yardstick, Amnesty is facing the same moral dilemmas as reputable international news media. This line made me laugh because... What international news media is reputable anymore? And how many of them have a moral dilemma? I think the moral dilemma extends to the bank balance and how much money from the state can we take for um, repeating their propaganda. See the um, Smith-Munt Act in in America where basically CNN is being subsidized by the state to um, signal boost their propaganda. So that line did make me laugh, but I get what they mean. And then he mentions Reuters. It's like Reuters, the same guys who had paintball guns. Wouldn't they picture the Ukrainians with paintball guns claiming they were defending against Russia? Oh, man. So, yeah, Politico is Politico. But uh, I think some valid points there. Ukraine should respond to Amnesty's criticism in a similar spirit. And its Western supporters should want to ensure that the billions in taxpayer money being poured into Ukraine to support its self-defense and keep it financially afloat are being properly spent. CBS. Whoops. Maintaining public support for Ukraine's struggle requires a constructive response to criticism from reputable human rights organizations, not trying to muzzle them or discredit their findings. That is the opinion piece in Politico. And um, yeah, some of the lines uh, I do agree with. And I will, of course, link this in the description. Uh, But fair play to that journalist. Uh, What's his name? Let's give him credit. Paul Taylor. 
who is a contributing editor. Um, so yeah, take that, the West, uh, and your cancel culture, as uh, Sergei Lavrov said. Now, he did mention about the billions of dollars being poured into Ukraine and making sure it's properly spent. Well, Ukraine received a deferment <laughs> on external debt until 2024. Forgive me, but as you guys commented and as I observed, uh, with the sale of all the land and private enterprises or state enterprises in Ukraine uh, that Zelensky is allegedly uh, cashing in on to enrich himself, who's going to pay this debt in 2024? The owners of Eurobonds, Ukraine's creditors, agreed to freeze the country's payments on them until 2024. They account for 75% of Ukraine's external debt. Information about this was published on the website of the Ukrainian Ministry of Finance. Quote, we are grateful to the investors for accepting our offer. Thanks to the solidarity with Ukraine shown by the private investor community, along with the official public sector, we will be able to meet the needs of the country's state budget at war and maintain the sustainability of our public finances. What sustainability? And what was the offer? Uh, we pay you nothing until 2024. How does that sound? Yeah, okay. As Bloomberg reported, Ukraine's external debt is 19.6 billion. I, I don't know, but that doesn't sound that much these days, especially when you compare it to the US external debt. The decision to freeze payments will allow Kiev to save $5.8 billion that should have been paid in debt service until 2024. According to Oleg Ustenko, Economic advisor to Zelensky, Ukraine's budget deficit is about $5 billion a month. Oh, well, congratulations. You've just, you've just saved that deficit there, haven't you? You've got $0.8 billion to send to Miami or to the offshore bank accounts. Well done, Oleg. Give him a promotion. On Wednesday, the companies Ukravtodor and Ukrenergo received consent to defer payments on loans, but so far it's not been possible to achieve the same decision on Naftogas, which is what we reported previously. Deadline for creditors to approve the deferral of payments for Naftogas is August 12th. And finally, we have Coca-Cola. Remember, I've listed Mercedes, I've listed so many companies that have announced multi-million dollar losses. Coca-Cola announced a loss of $195 million due to the cessation of sales in Russia. Oh boy. The soft drink maker expects new financial losses of around 82 million euros in the second half of the year, as remaining stocks in Russia are nearly depleted and there are no plans to produce or sell Coca-Cola drinks or other brands of the company in the country. So when we get into the details here, the Coca-Cola Hellenic Bottling Company Coca-Cola HBC, said it suffered a one-time loss of 190 million euros, that's nearly 195.36 million dollars, in the first half of the year due to costs associated with ending the sale of Coca-Cola beverages in Russia. This became known from the company's financial report for the first half of 2022, published on Thursday. According to the document, the soft drinks maker expects new financial losses, so that's an additional loss of 82 million euros in the second half of the year. There we go. The company also reported a 34% decline in net income to around 153 million euros in the first six months of 2022. According to the report, in addition to the cessation of activities in Russia, the company is negatively affected by continued inflation. So wow, so even affecting the big guys. So there we are, not the best decision in the world. I have been keeping track of IKEA, who are reportedly resuming production in Russia from the 1st of September. 
But that is about the wrap of the news today. <laughs>